media at SAFM with Ashraf Garda. Exploring every media platform and industry. Only on 104 to 107. The media show is where you're at your two-hour masterclass in the brand communication. Thanks for thanks for being with us. By the way, I hope you enjoyed the that fabulous thought leader discussion uh, on identification of children in the media. We'll we'll have a podcast up of that later on, including the things with Jessica Motaung and Tumi Morake and the and the new Vegan um, Life magazine too. We'll certainly do the same with Sharon Bryce Peace. I know we'll chat to Jeremy Sampson later on. Selo Hatang about uh, Brand Nelson Mandela and a fantastic advert that we'll talk about the latest All Mutual. So, so many reasons for you to stay absolutely tuned. Are you enjoying the show? Yes, no. You can tweet me right away. Hashtag Media Show or SMS me 34701. Okay, Sherwin Bryce Peace, you may know, is, uh, is the SABC's UN correspondent. So, that's his one job. He's from the SABC, worked here, uh, and is the correspondent at the United Nations. He has another job. The, all the correspondents, the foreign correspondents based at the United Nations, they appoint one person to lead them. He, from South Africa, from East London, is their president. Isn't that a great thing for us? I certainly believe strongly in this concept of a champion South Africa, leaders around the world. Uh, he's uh, an ambassador of just that, isn't he? So I chatted him a few days ago because of the time difference um, and pre-recorded this interview about with Sherwin Bryce Peace and first asked him, you know, how, how did he get there and get that job? This is what he had to say. So it's been over eight years. I was uh, appointed in, uh, I think I arrived in the States in August of 2008, and I'll always remember that as being the, sort of just a few months ahead of Barack Obama's uh, official nomination as the candidate for the Democratic Party, and then, of course, his historic run to the White House. And so that was my first story uh, when I moved to the States, uh, covering uh, Barack Obama's uh, rise to the presidency. And would you say that as, as journalists or reporters go, if you could handpick, you know, two, three places of choice in the country, in the world that you'd actually want to work at some stage, uh, the USA or, say, Washington in particular would be, would be probably number one because of its strategic importance and impact in the world? Well, I would actually argue that uh, New York and the United Nations and Wall Street is probably more strategic in many ways than Washington is. Uh, you know, I've, I've covered many, many stories, whether it's the Ebola crisis in West Africa, whether there's a, a coup in a country, and all roads often uh, lead to the United Nations in New York. It's amazing how you can cover world issues, whether it's the, the new president in Somalia or the strife in the Horn of Africa or, you know, what's going on with North Korea in the, you know, the DPRK in, in, in Asia or uh, the migration issue in, in Europe, uh, from Africa to Europe. All these stories often come to New York, to the United Nations in some form. So I actually think New York is a much more strategic place than, than say, Washington, D.C. would be. Yeah, that's a good point. And, of course, I mean, literally, as the United Nations would suggest, you would be able to have uh, thought leaders and, and, uh, and, and effectively leaders who are answerable uh, within that, that very sh- few short square kilometers, isn't it, which represents the United Nations? Absolutely. I mean, there are 193 member states of the United Nations. I mean, this is a diplomatic town. I mean, there's a story that the New York uh, City Commission just did recently about the value that diplomats and having the United Nations uh, being the host city, if you will, of the United Nations and how much that that, uh, 
uh, is valued by the city from an economic point of view, particularly given the, the questions of uh, travel bans and immigration reviews uh, that are currently underway by the federal government in Washington. So it was a sort of an interesting dichotomy to actually hear from New Yorkers how, how much they value having the United Nations here, uh, particularly the diplomats and the money they bring into the city. Now, having said that, you know, somebody asked me, I spoke to someone a few days ago, and, and he said, you know, awards don't change people, uh, awards or appointments, but they certainly change how other people look at you or value you. Now, the fact is, I've known you as, as an outstanding uh, you know, news anchor since the time you were at the SABC. So there was, that was a given right here in South Africa. But, but why we haven't spoken all these years is just ridiculous. But in the last couple of months, I mean, there's, there's been awards, there's been, a, uh, there's been an acknowledgement in terms of awards, there's also new positions that you hold. Um, and, and that certainly rang the alarm bells for me to say, actually, I need to speak to Sherwin. Yeah, it's always difficult to sort of look uh, in-house uh, and celebrate uh, our colleagues. And and uh, you know, when we when we wake up every day, Ashraf, I'm sure you'll agree with this. We don't wake up and do stories and and try and be perfectionists, if you will, in in, in broadcasting because we want to win awards. I mean, that has never been the goal for me. Uh, and and the people outside won't know that. You know, as a journalist, you have to enter yourself in in a number of these awards, whether it's in South Africa or around the world. And I've always found that a, a sort of a strange. You know, you're not nominated for an award. You have to enter your own work but unfortunately that's how the game works so eventually after many many years people were saying you know why don't you start entering and i said i don't really like to do that i prefer to be nominated but then eventually of course you know if if uh, the, the herd mentality if people are doing that then you do it so yeah it's been it's been a wonderful couple of years um it has been wonderful to be be recognized and i think also wonderful for the sabc given it, the noise we are experiencing at the top and so in so many uh, areas at the SABC, a lot of distraction from actually what is happening in, in our core function, which is the newsroom. And so I think this was a validation uh, for all, to all the journalists at the SABC who wake up every day and put their heads down despite the noise at the top and get on with the job. Well, that's a good point because the fact is, you know, often people say whatever's happening upstairs, there are some outstanding, you know, broadcasters, talk shows, reporters all within, within the SABC and, and you in, in many ways, uh, you're, you're a manifestation of that. Just, just for the record then, let's just talk about some of the acknowledgement that you've received in the last couple of years. Well, we received a, a bronze medal at the annual UN Correspondents Association Awards about two years ago. Uh, in last year, we won a silver in, in the broadcasting category. Uh, and then uh, the sort of apex, apex acknowledgement, I think, for the SABC at large was when uh, I, as the SABC's representative at the United Nations, was elected uh, to be president of the UN Correspondents Association. We initially thought I was the first African. It uh, appeared subsequently that there was an Egyptian many, many decades ago. So we're the, the first sub-Saharan African to hold the position, the first South African, and the youngest, uh, the youngest person to hold uh, the position. So uh, certainly a, a, a privilege, uh, Ashraf, but also a lot of pressure that comes with this new position. Okay, so so just tell me about the, tell me more about this new position. I mean, so so the official title is what? I'm president of the UN Correspondents Association. Okay. So at the United Nations, we have about 250 international journalists. Similar to, you know, covering the State Department or the White House, you have uh, press corps, international press corps. And uh, so the White House, for example, would, would have the White House Correspondents Association. We have the UN Correspondents Association. And so I am sort of the figurehead of all the journalists that operate here from around the world. So, you know... We are basically a link between the UN establishment, the Secretariat, and these 
the various media houses that, that, that come to work here. Remember, we, we, I have an office at SABC. We have an office at mm. the United Nations, as do many, many other resident correspondents. But we are not of the United Nations. We don't work for the UN. So generally, rules uh, of the United Nations perhaps don't pertain as broadly as they would to, to UN staff, as they, uh, um, to, to UN correspondents. So we are sort of this light liaison, this link between this international press corps uh, and all the problems that come with that and the United Nations. Yeah. And, and I mean, so, so it's interesting if you talk about yourself as the president of the UN uh, Correspondence Association. I know, it's such a strange title. Uh, yeah, but I mean, in many ways, if I think of the Secretary General of the United Nations, and you would be the media equivalent of that. Or, or is that pushing it too far in terms of your importance? Absolutely. With, with that Absolutely. I'm, I'm sort of a, an elevated secretary. I mean, this is literally, you know, we have an open-door policy, so people will come with all their complaints, whether it's like, I didn't get my accreditation renewed, to they want to kick me out of my office space, or we can't go down that hall and around that corner. Can you talk to security about that? So, you know, you, you're kind of the first port of call for many journalists here, because you know, it's not like they can go to the principal's office or they can go to mm. uh, the UN, because often journalists are seen as sort of outsiders uh, at the United Nations, and we sort of try to bridge that gap between the, 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 the press corps and, and the UN Secretariat. But in addition to that, we also do fun things. We, we have our own space at the UN. We have the UN uh, Correspondents Association meeting room. It's a venue we, in which we host press conferences, our own independent press conferences. We invite people from outside. And then the big thing we do annually is the UN Correspondents Association Gala Awards Dinner, where we honor uh, journalists who cover the United Nations uh, and, and uh, with a guest of honor that is pro- always mo- most likely the Secretary General who will give a speech, often a funny, a funny speech. I'm sure you've seen Barack Obama, uh, the, the, the former President of, of the United States at the White House Correspondents Association. It, uh, it's something similar to that. Uh, and, of course, uh, celebrating journalists who cover the United Nations, whether in print, in, in, in broadcast, uh, or, or, or online. And so that is, that's the, the, the big uh, event we work to in the, uh, towards Decem- in December. And, and we invite a number of uh, UN Goodwill ambassadors, and we're hoping to have a few big names. Last year, we had Leonardo DiCaprio. He was on it. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a big event, and, and we have to do independent fundraising for that event, uh, independent of the United Nations. So well, that's kind of our, 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 our big uh, Well, next time you have Meryl Streep knocking uh, Donald Trump, let me know, because I'd love to be invited to that award uh, that you guys have. It'll be interesting. I mean, it certainly gets me thinking, therefore, that... So, so how then did you get to that position, meaning how, how do you get elected? In fact, do you get elected? What's the process? Well, there's, there, there's a, a democratic process that happens. All the journalists, the, the, the paid-up members of the UN Correspondents Association get to vote. They get to nominate uh, 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 Various candidates. There's a 15-member board that, that, that I that I manage, uh, and and I was nominated by a number of people. In fact, they approached me privately to say, "Would you run for president? We think you'd be fantastic." I said, "I really don't want to. I've got too much work as it is." Um, and they said, "Well, who else is going to do it?" And I said, "Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know." And and I had more people sort of knock on my door and say, "Let's do this." And I said, "Okay." It, it'll be a challenge, but, but that's how we grow in life. We have to Why? challenge ourselves. And, you okay, know. So, so seriously, journalist question, uh, and humbly mm. so, why do you think they asked you, what are the qualities genuinely that you think you possess for a, a massive world group to actually trust you to actually handle their affairs? Well, it's an, it's an excellent question, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a, a question better posed to, to the people that nominated me. But, but I do think that the SABC and, and Sherman Bryce Pease, if you will, uh, we've made a name for ourselves within the corridors of this organization. I think even when, you know, the officials here do 
a, a rundown. You know, when they have big, big events that they want, where they want to talk to the media, they sort of come up with a list of journalists or correspondents they want to sit down to. So, for example, if the you know head of the Paris Climate Change Agreement, say officials here want to want to get their messaging out, they'll approach a number of journalists, and the SABC is always asked, "Would you like to sit down with the Secretary General? Would you want to you know interview the head of political affairs or you know, whatever position it might be?" So we have been recognised, I think, through our here, years here through the types of questions we ask in, in public press briefings. And I think just generally our approach to, to covering the United Nations has, has been a standout for not only the journalists, but I think officials here. And so, you know, I always say the SABC has created a space for itself at the United Nations now uh, over the uh, last eight years. I think if, if we were to leave, there, there would be a, 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 mm-hmm. a, a, certainly a, a gap left by by an African, a very prominent African broadcaster, yeah, and I think that has been recognised by by the powers that be. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if I was speaking in soccer terms, it would be like the the dream to say, "Can I interview a, a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Lionel Messi?" Right? In in, in political terms. Now imagine is, getting a call from his agent, Ashraf, and saying, <laughs> "Hey, Ashraf, we've got him available. Would you like would to you sit like down with to? Him? Would right? you mind doing so?" Right? But but in political terms. What's that equivalent? And I take it the answer is you're going to say, in fact, I have interviewed them. So who are they? Who have I interviewed? Yeah, in, in terms of, of, of the gravitas of the, of the sporting names I've just mentioned in, in political terms. I mean, I've interviewed uh, the President of the United States, uh, former President Barack Obama. I've interviewed uh, Ban Ki-moon, the uh, former Secretary General of the United Nations, several times. Um, I've interviewed Trevor Noah on the set of uh, the... Uh, the Daily Show. Uh, I think we were celebrating his 100th show. I mean, we were the first broadcaster to do that. Uh, the SABC was not uh, our, our uh, rivals in South Africa. And I, I remember there was a promo uh, that Jeremy Maggs was doing, promoting the, uh, his interview with Trevor Noah in New York, talking about this is the first interview on South African television since he started The Daily Show. That wasn't correct. The SABC got that first interview. So, you know, often these things fall on your lap. It's just being, you know, being the right place at the right time and perhaps representing the right media house. And so I've been very privileged and lucky in that sense. I've interviewed uh, Morgan Freeman many years ago, uh, the famous Hollywood actor. So I've just, you know, I've been very blessed in that sense. Who's, I don't who's think missing from that list? Donald, Donald Trump is missing from that list right now, is that right? Gosh, he's only been in office for two weeks. Let the man, you know, give him some breathing space. <laughs> give us some give, time. Give us some breathing space, <laughs> not give him some breathing space. I can understand that, right? I mean, that would be a given that you'd, you'd want to. But, but who else is sort of, you know, uh, got away from you that, that you would love to have interviewed that person I mean I really don't see I don't see it in, I don't have a sort of a wish list of people that I'd want to sit down for you know often you, you ask well, who's your favorite this or favorite that you know I, I, I sometimes I think that the little guy in the street is is the most interesting person or you know the person who's who's got their point of view holding a protest at an anti-Donald Trump march I mean it's very those are the interesting discussions that's sort of the grassroots uh, level where journalists, I, I think, forget to focus on. And I think the real stories do come from the grassroots, not necessarily uh, always from the hierarchies or the famous people out there. Um, and, and I've been blessed in a sense that I've been able to sort of go high and go low uh, you know, on that trajectory. So, yeah, I, I think we often look for you know, uh, name recognition rather than actually telling really fantastic stories. And often those are found at the grassroots level. And, and, and when you got the position to, to then... Uh be based in the USA on, on behalf of the SABC, right? Uh, what, were, what were your thoughts? I mean, when you were offered that position, I take it you were offered and, and didn't force, force your way in. Uh, what happened to you? Why did you say yes? Well, I applied for the position. Um, it was an internally uh, posted position, and I wasn't sure that I would get it, but I was doing a, a program called Weekend Live. Mm-hmm. I was in my late 20s, and I was waking up at 
you know, three o'clock every Saturday and Sunday morning to go and do live weekend breakfast television. And at some point, you know, that did take a, 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 was, a was a strain on my social life being, a, you know, sort of uh, younger than 30. And, and I felt I needed to change. And I saw the New York position. I thought, oh, wouldn't that be interesting? But of course, I hadn't really worked as a journalist in the field on a regular basis. So I think it raised a number of eyebrows, I think, internally at the SABC that I, you know, sort of got the position as a, as a sort of presenter more so than a journalist. Uh, and, and so I think I had the added pressure of, of the doubters within the organization that felt perhaps I, I wasn't the best um, suited for the, for the job. And so, uh, but also I was very fortunate in the sense that we had this wonderful, huge story of the first possible black president becoming, you know, going all the way to the White House. And so I think I was very fortunate in, in, in that sense that we had this wonderful story. Uh, and my, my job in that, in that sense was, was really to do it justice. And I think we did that. Yeah, so in many ways, your, your entire journey in the U.S. has paralleled the, the journey of Barack Obama, which means the obvious one is like, when, when are you coming back home? Right. It's interesting. You know, he's no longer president than I am. Uh, so uh, <laughs> perhaps I'm no longer shadowing him. Look, the SABC has, uh, it's, they review this contract every, every three years or so, and they've been very happy with, with my position, and I've been happy to stay here. But as I, I've always said, uh, this, this position is not entirely in my hands. This is a, manage, a, a management decision. And, and so uh, depending on when they want me to come back, if I want to come back sooner, uh, that remains to be seen. And I mean, I've watched your stories and people can, and hopefully maybe you'll send us some uh, YouTube links via, via Twitter so I can share that with, with, with listeners and that gets viewers as well. It'll be great. But, and of course, you've covered stories of South Africa and Africa and, and what we'd be interested in uh, from, from New York, right? But, but the more important one for me is like, what do, what do the other journalists, what, what do the politicians, what do they say about South Africa when they engage you? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, this is a day we're doing this interview uh, just sort of right after the uh, State of the Nation address in Parliament, and I have received a number of uh, text messages from colleagues over here saying, "What is going on in South Africa?" And you know, being in the United States, I I plead the fifth. Uh, I certainly plead the fifth on this radio program uh, in terms of what I tell them. But look, it's an interesting time anywhere in the world. I don't think uh, people can point fingers at South Africa and say, you know, we we had such high expectations. What's going on? I mean, some people in South Africa can say the same thing about the United States right now. You know, France is going to have a very, very interesting and divisive election. They're already talking about uh, concerns about Russian hacking in the French election, in the German election this year. And I, I think the world has pivoted. And I think we're at a, at a point where, you know, things are changing. There's a recalibration happening in geopolitics around the world. There's a great deal of, unexp- um, a great deal of unknown in terms of many unknowns in terms of the Donald Trump presidency. I mean, you know, he's just lost a very big court case two weeks in his presidency. And I think, in, you know, there's a lot of instability in, in Venezuela, in, in Latin America. So I think the world is shifting. Who knows what's going to happen with the Palestinian-Israeli issue? So I don't think people can necessarily point fingers at what is happening in South Africa alone. I think you've got four ping- uh, fingers likely pointing back at you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But, but having said that, you know, the, the goings-on of the last couple of days and, of course, the previous years, right, that, does it suggest... A, to, to the people on the outside, the people in Washington and New York and wherever else, that A, uh, South Africa's democracy is in fact not working and therefore it appears that the that parliament is breaking or broken, right? Or, or does it suggest in fact democracy is working to such an extent that here you are people who, who will quote what has happened from the constitutional court and challenge a person who just happens to be the president and in fact saying we have every right not to hear you any longer. Which is the narrative that comes through strongest? 
Well, the, the, the narrative that I've experienced, I interviewed someone uh, at the Council of, on Foreign Relations in New York. He wrote a book. He's a former ambassador to um, Nigeria and an expert. He, he was a counselor at the, the Pretoria um, uh, U.S. Embassy, uh, I think, in the early 90s when Nelson Mandela was president. His name is uh, jo- Dr. John Campbell. Um, I, and I, I think it was uh, the, the title of the book is Morning in South Africa or something like that. And he, he really takes a deep look at what has been happening over the last decade in the country. And his uh, analysis and his conclusion was that as long as you have a vibrant civil society, as long as you have a vibrant and an independent uh, uh, judiciary, which is an important branch of government, no matter what is happening in parliament, no, what, no matter what is happening in government, if you have an independent judiciary and a vocal and, and strong uh, and sustainable civil society, uh, you know, that is democracy in action. And I think that, I mean, I don't think anyone can argue with those pillars of democracy that are there in South Africa and remain vibrant. And I think when you start seeing the encroachment on the the judiciary, and I think that there's a big concern in the United States that is beginning to happen with this president, um, then then the alarm bells can really go off. But as long as the the judiciary, that, that arm stays independent, I think we're still okay. Mm. All right. So back to you then, which is, Mm. I mean, I could use a couple of adjectives to describe you in terms of uh, uh, great, great diction, great presence, great delivery, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. But introspect and tell me, what do you think about what do you think are the qualities you have um, that has given you the armory to actually succeed in your field? Well, I think as a brown person or, you know, I think I think we always felt we had to prove ourselves a little uh, more than others, especially when things started opening up. You know, I was at a at a Model C school in the early 1990s. We were some of the, the first uh, uh, brown, black, Indian kids to be sent to those schools. And I often talk about that as, as kind of being at the forefront of confronting the transition that South Africa was going through. I mean, we, we don't talk much about kids at, in classrooms that had to confront racism for the first time. And deal with it at, at that level. That sort of, you know, we we moved from brown schools mm-hmm. to white schools. All right, so you told me schools. what what motivated you, but you haven't told me what are the, what are the skills you in fact possess. If you had to put that on a CV to say this is what I have. Well, I, I uh, is this like a job interview now? Um, the it skills may well that be. I have, you well, never know. I mean, I I think I'm a I'm a perfectionist. I I believe that uh, we when we do the news and tell a story, we need to keep the viewer in mind. And, and the viewer is always the person that I'm trying to, to make a connection with. And if I tell a good story where someone can sit on their couch, eating their food, uh, their, their dinner, probably be, uh, watching the news, and I can sort of stop them in mid-chew, then I've done my job. And, and I think we need to sit back and look at the stories and, and really understand what it is we we have to communicate to, to the people on the other side. And I think if you do that in a haphazard way, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're not uh, attuned to detail, then I think you lose the audience. You, you open yourself up for, for very easy criticism. So I think I aspire always to, to represent myself very well, my company very well, and ensure that the viewer is satisfied. Okay, hopefully people can Google you and find out about your story from East London to Rhodes and know all about that. But, but the one I'll, I'll leave you with is this. Everybody appears to have one one crazy break that gets them into this industry. What what's yours? I, I you know I I went to Rhodes University. It was the best journalism school in the country. I did a fantastic internship right out of college at uh, at uh, Reuters, uh, the Reuters newsroom in Johannesburg. Uh, they offered me a job before before I finished uh, my studies, and I had to decline. Uh, that offer to so that I could finish my honors at Rhodes. So, um, yeah, I think just just a good foundation, a good education. I think Rhodes have opened a lot of doors for me. 
So yours is not so much a lucky break, but just consistently no. good. Well, good way to, to, to end it.